I'm so glad that our school sisters are not here today because I have a confession to make. I was a very marginal grade school student. I couldn't sit still. But I loved field trip days. I got so excited as I came to school with my permission slip in one hand and my sack lunch in the other. It was usually a day out of Catholic school uniforms. It made it better, though we still had to dress respectively and behave that way as well. We, after all, represented Jesus. What would people think if we all acted like hooligans, our teachers would tell us? In November of my fifth grade year, we went to Ball State University to see a stage version of Peter Pan. I remember it well because I filled my coat pockets full of candy corn, Halloween candy corn, contraband, I must say, that was clearly against Catholic school rules. I felt dirty all day, but I ate it anyway. And then God punished me. I got the flu that night and I threw up orange all night long to the horror of my parents who were convinced I got some fatal disease in Muncie until I was forced to explain myself that it was my lack of temperance. So then I had the flu and when I recovered I was punished, the great candy corn disaster of my youth. I still like field trips, adult ones, to cities and countries throughout the world. I would love to take you this morning on a great field trip to the great city of Rome. If we zeroed in on Vatican City and walked to Mass for the solemnity of Christ the King, like many pilgrims, we would eventually step on the Via della Conciliazione from a side street. And there would be in front of us St. Peter's Basilica, the largest church in the world. It doesn't look so large when you're at the end of the street, but as you get closer and closer, its scale comes into focus. It's mammoth. Sometimes thousands of mass attendees stand all the way down that, via, that, that road, that street, but not today. One could easily walk right into the square this morning and at least, and maybe even get into the church, as this isn't exactly pilgrim or tourist season. Curiously, there's an obelisk in the center of the square. And with the looming presence of St. Peter's Basilica behind it, it doesn't make much of an impression, really. It just kind of blends in to all the magnificence, magnificence therein. American tour groups identify that steeple or tower thing in the middle of the square as a smart place to meet at the end of the day. But in reality, it's far older than anything on Vatican Hill. It's four and a half thousand years old. It originally stood in the Sun Temple in Egypt, but brought to Rome by a dreaded pagan emperor named Caligula. Then it was placed in the middle of the equally dreaded Circus of Nero on Vatican Hill, a wide open venue known for its horse and chariot races and all sorts of debauchery. It was in Nero's circus near Vatican Hill that St. Peter the Apostle and hundreds of thousands of early Christians were horrifically martyred. Some of their bodies were even doused with accelerants and set on fire to light the circus at night for those races. It wasn't a great place for Christians. Seems that all was lost with the followers of Jesus Christ the King. In the 16th century, the obelisk was moved from the ruins of Nero's circus to St. Peter's Square, and tour guide remind pilgrims that the obelisk 
may well have been the last thing that St. Peter the Apostle saw before his death, before his martyrdom. The obelisk was baptized, if you will, when it was moved. In ancient times, there was a gold ball on the top of it representing the God of the sun. Now, still today, there is a cross, on the, and on the obelisk pedestal, there are two Latin inscriptions. The first is translated, Christ has conquered, Christ now rules, Christ now reigns supreme. The other inscription is, the Lion of Judah has conquered. To me, anyway, the obelisk is kind of a grave marker, representing the deaths of kings and emperors and countless regimes and kingdoms that have come and gone throughout Christian history. Yet Christianity has triumphed by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, our King, most especially over the greatest power that the ancient world had known, and that is the Roman Empire. It reminds me of sage advice that my mother gives me when I begin to despair over the state of our world. She whispers a little secret to me, Richard, Jesus Christ, our King, wins in the end. Like, get a grip, she says. The Feast of Christ the King that we celebrate today was instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI, who was concerned about the state of the world after the First World War, a war in which over 9 million soldiers were killed and 21 million were wounded. Christians everywhere were lost, grieving and despairing. Faith was waning the world over. Frankly, much like it is today in this confusing and often immoral world. In the early 1920s, Mussolini marched on Rome and formed a fascist government. Stalin ruled in Soviet, as a, a Soviet dictator. And Adolf Hitler was rising. So the Feast of Christ the King was established as a bold reminder to, uh, to all about who is ultimately and eternally in charge, who is ultimately the king of the universe. But in our gospel today, Jesus doesn't look like he's in charge at all. The Jews accuse him of blasphemy for claiming to be God. They wanted him dead in the most shameful and painful way that was by Roman execution. They brought Jesus before the Roman uh, uh, Pilate, the Roman governor, and accused him of sedition against Caesar and the empire, and that further he claimed to be a king. In today's gospel, Pilate is conducting the trial, and he questions Jesus about his kingdom, but Pilate doesn't understand the transcendent nature of Jesus' kingdom, which does not belong to this world. Neither Jesus present nor future reign operates according to the world's criteria of power, success, and dominance. Rather, Jesus' kingdom, the reign of God, is based on the Beatitudes. Jesus rules through loving service rather than domination. His authority is rooted in truth, not in violence and force. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth about an eternal kingdom, about God and his love for us, and about whom we are called to be as his servants. And the kingdom of God is a reality where Christians live the gospel still today. That is, the kingdom of God exists in homes where parents and children strive to love each other, most especially during the holiday weekend. Kids, the fourth commandment is... 
Honor your father and mother, your welcome parents. It exists where people care for the weak and the vulnerable. It exists in parishes like ours who care for the poor and the needy. The kingdom of God happens when people feed the hungry and shelter the homeless, and when they show care to the neglected and the lonely in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. The kingdom happens whenever we overturn an unjust law that compromises human dignity. It happens when we turn away from sin and worldliness. It happens when we learn and then pass the faith on to future generations in the process of evangelization. The kingdom of God is in the past, in the life and the work of Jesus of Nazareth. It is in the present, in the work of the church, and in our efforts to create a world of goodness, love, and peace. And it is also in the future, reaching its completion in the age to come. Yes, Jesus Christ is King. We pray today that God may free humanity to rejoice in his peace, in his glory, in his justice, and to live in his love. And while it is a kingdom that is not of this world, it grows starting in our hearts and lives when we preach by word and example in the name of our King. If Christ is really King of my life, Jesus must be a part of every part of my life, including in our weaknesses and sorrows which we bring before him, waiting to be healed. We become Christ the King's subjects when we sincerely respond to Jesus' loving invitation to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. So on this Feast of Christ the King, allow our King to take charge of your life. For despite all the trials of this life, as we will learn in the coming season of Advent, the kingdom of God is near. Then, by God's mercy, we will take another field trip to the kingdom of heaven.